Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I'm Renee Coman, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, what's going on with you, man? Oh, not too much, Manny. Just uh, kind of collecting myself here. Uh, you know, we we continue to things continue to improve. Well, in some respects, they continue to improve. Um, you know, in in certain respects, I saw the state of Louisiana is going back to phase two. That's not good. No, it's not good. It's not good for you know. Well, because you know what it is. It's um, what it comes down to is that uh, people are idiots. You yes. Know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at look at it. What tomorrow is um, Thanksgiving, right? Right. Yes. And our government, our CDC, which is you know the big health uh, organization, right? You know, despite all their warnings, there are still two million jerks out there who are still <laughs> traveling by plane. You know. Yeah, I saw I saw some pictures from the terminals. They look yeah. pretty crowded. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Oh, okay, Jesus. you know, it, it, go ahead. Like I said, you know, I said this six months ago. You're gonna nice knowing you, you know, right? And and, and it goes down to like even uh, the division that we have still, you know, and we're gonna continue to have in this country. Um, I saw this. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I saw a story. I, I don't know. It was on uh, one of those news networks, uh, one of their websites. Uh, that uh, they had this interview with this doctor and nurse. I think they were somewhere here in the South who were caring for COVID victims who were on, who were going to die. They were going to die, these people. Right. And on their deathbeds, they continue to say that COVID-19 was a hoax. It wasn't. Uh-huh. Yes, I saw that. You saw that? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm dying of COVID, but yet it's not. It doesn't exist. It's, it's not real. COVID's not real. Yeah. Right, right. They're protesting. They're in the bed, uh, about to be intubated, and they're protesting. There's something else wrong with me because it can't be this because it's not real. It can't be COVID because that's a hoax. Well, there's definitely something else wrong with them. (laughs) Sure, sure. You know, but uh, and COVID is one of them. But there's other other things definitely wrong with these people. They they, they had some some pre-existing mental health issues. You're saying? Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, um, uh, yeah, uh, these people. you know, listen, listen, and, and keep your eyes and ears wide open, because you know, I know there's disinformation and all that stuff out there. But if people just basically, I mean, I'm 57 years old, and uh, I think I'm somewhat educated. I didn't really graduate college, but I went to a year of college and stuff. And I have street smarts and common sense. And right. I mean, if you just kind of use your common sense and realize, hey, man, you're right. I should do this. I should wear a mask. I should wash my hands, all that kind of stuff. And, and if people can't see it, then I feel sorry for them. And like I said before, it's been nice knowing you. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, man. You know, we're already in, in such a, uh, such a, a hole uh, information wise, you know, the, the, the well has been poisoned to such a degree. Um, right. Now, now, uh, so, you know, you're talking about Thanksgiving. Now, I know we, we talked about this last week. You traditionally have a, uh, a big party on Thanksgiving at, at your house, which you're, you're not going to have this year. No, yeah, we, yeah we, uh, we usually have like a little 
brunch because the fairgrounds, which is the racetrack, which I live very close to, has a very, you know, it's a very big tradition to go watch the ponies and everyone dresses up to the nines and stuff like that. And we always have people come by our house and get a bowl of, of our, my wife's duck gumbo and then they go. Mm. But we're not doing that. You know, we can't do that this year, but yeah. Yeah, right, so right. I'm just not going to do it. And, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I'm kind of happy that it, it's happened. And I could take it. I could take a, you know, a year off. You know, we'll do it next year. Sure, sure. Now, now your in-laws, do, do they traditionally have like a big uh, get together at, at their place out in uh, Reefer Ridge or? or no? Yeah, they, they usually do. And we go there because our thing is like a little, you know, like 11 to 3 kind of thing. And then we go over there around 5 o'clock. It's kind of an open house. It's like an all day thing, and but yeah, we're not going to go. We're not going to go over there. Now, is, is, you think there'll be something going on there? Or you, you're not sure. Um, well, there's something. There's always something going on over there. You know? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it is it is Reefer Ridge. You know, so, yes, 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 yes. It is. So yes. there's always something going on, and I really don't want to know about it. To tell you the truth. Okay. Well, yeah. another another. Uh, uh, question i had concerning uh, uh these uh holiday traditions are there any uh traditional uh la mexican dishes that that you are fond of or that you prepare as part of thanksgiving no well yeah there are some traditions uh but i don't i don't prepare them i i know i mean not really for thanksgiving i mean when i was um you know back in la we would just have the traditional thanksgiving with pretty much all of my mom's side of the family there my, my dad didn't have that big a family but all my mom's side of the family, and it was just it was turkey and stuffing and cranberry okay. and that kind of stuff. It wasn't it wasn't uh, anything uh, uh, from my uh, ethnicity. There was nothing there really. At Christmas okay. there was stuff there, but you know what I found interesting? I think I've said this before. I think it was last year. Is like is like um, I mean I don't understand why you still have to have turkey on Thanksgiving. You yeah, I, I don't know that, you know, it, it might have been one of those things where, uh, you know, way back in the day, the that they were trying to promote a certain industry, you know, like that's the whole food pyramid was based on trying to push the grains, you know, <laughs> try to try to move the uh, merchandise for the farmers. Yeah, because so. I remember back in the 70s when I was a kid, the early 80s, when I was growing up as a young man, I mean, turkey was something that you didn't see on the menu anywhere you went. But now, in the last 20, 25 years, you can get a turkey burger, you can get a turkey, you know, you get turkey this, turkey that, turkey, sure. turkey chili and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't understand what the big deal is about turkey is anymore. I mean, I, I guess unless someone who is very traditional denies themselves of turkey for 364 days out of the year <laughs> and then decides that we're going to have this turkey. You know, okay. Uh, I don't get it. And, you know, me and my wife and, and, and my, uh, we, we haven't done turkey. We, we do duck. Oh, we okay. Duck. We do duck. Cause you don't have duck. You don't see duck everywhere, you know? No, you don't. It's a very uh, rich meat. Yes. It's very rich. And it, it uh, my wife makes a, a very good duck gumbo mm. and the duck this and duck that. That does sound and, good, Manny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, turkey, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But you know, People like turkey, fine. And uh, now I have, the big news is that they're telling people not to, you know, have big gatherings. So they're selling twenty-two pound turkeys for four people. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know that's uh, that's uh, that's that's a lot of leftovers. 
yeah, yeah. I did hear that there was a big demand for tiny turkeys this year. So, um, you know, maybe if the, uh, maybe they can, the geneticists can be working on that. You know, get some some tiny, some small well, turkeys. I, I, I've never making them bigger, but uh, I've never uh, seen a tiny turkey, but uh, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, yeah. They, they, they have almost everything these days. Yeah. Well, in, in some in some happier news, to switch subjects uh, quickly here, um, I, I saw that just as you predicted, Manny, they, they announced uh, a at least a temporary replacement for uh, the late Alex Trebek. Yeah, uh, I told you. Host- yeah. Yes. Ken Jennings. Yeah, Ken Jennings, right? Yes. Ken yes. Jennings. Ken Jennings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was, I, I, yeah, I, you could see it in that show that we talked about last week or whatever. Mm-hmm. That Alex was like, you know, he kind of, you know, gave a little hint, you know, this guy could be the new host. Right. And, it's like passing of the torch. Right. And, and, and he's only the interim, interim host for now, but of course mm-hmm. they announced it like I think yesterday or today. And of course, because of the world we live in, He's already come under fire for a tweet. Really? Yes. From <laughs> oh, social media for a tweet that he made six years ago. Uh-huh. Go and this on. Tweet, this tweet is, you know, people are so stupid. We talk about people being stupid and how I can't stand people. I, I don't want to deal with. But anyway, he said in a tweet, like in 2014, there's nothing sadder than a hot person in a wheelchair. He said okay. this. Okay. Now, if you read, if you read it just like that, you think. You, and if you're a deviant, you think, "Well, it's a hot chick or a hot guy," but it's someone okay. who's hot and sweaty. Oh, okay. You understand what I'm saying? Right. So, so he got bashed for saying this tweet that from six years ago that there's nothing sadder than a hot person in a wheelchair, and everyone took it so wrong. He was talking about someone who's in a wheelchair, who's sweating. It's probably a 90-degree day or whatever, you know, when he did this. Right. And everyone took it the wrong way. So this poor guy now, uh, you know, has got to deal with this. And, of course, in today's world, he's going to have to apologize probably for it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How do you start to formulate the apology for that? Well, uh, well, I would start with, I'm sorry for tweeting about something I should have just thought in my head and not even said out loud. <laughs> right. Well, because you know? what's the point? You know, is that uh, uh, again, like the whole world was waiting for his observation that it's sad to see someone sweating in a right. chair. Well, I mean, was it a hot person, someone who was sweating like Rudy Giuliani, sweating his hair dye? You know, <laughs> under the lights, you know. That is sad. Uh, well, you know, uh, it's really sad, this, this, uh, uh, this the, the, the empire that is going to leave in about a month and a half. I mean, I, I don't understand, you know, what they're trying to prove. You know, just go away. Take your money that you made. Take your millions and billions and go away quietly, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, for someone who who hates to lose as much as he protect as much as he says he does, it's interesting that he uh, has managed to uh, uh, extend his losing streak here for two weeks. He could have just lost once and been done with it, but uh, he's, right. he's managed to lose repeatedly over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, man. Just you know, I, I guess it's not in his nature. He's not going to do it. You know, he, he's, he's a baby. He's going to go out crying, you know, uh, right. and, 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 and someone's going to have to change his diaper. 
you know. Yeah, it's day. about time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so, but you know, uh, speak going back to the election, and mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to talk about this last week, but I didn't get a chance to. Did you know? I mean, this is how crazy things are now. How um, divided that we've always talked about the division and stuff like that. But uh, I talked to a a guy I know. Uh, He just happened to call me a few days ago. And he's a big uh, hunting enthusiast and stuff like that. He likes to fish and hunt. And he told me, um, like, a few days before the election, he wanted to go, like, you go, you take your son, you go to the firing range, right? And We have done that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go. So... He wanted to uh, exercise uh, some of his handguns that he has hidden away in his house mm-hmm. and, you know, just give them some exercise and go to the firing range. But uh, he had no, uh, he had ran out of ammunition. So mm-hmm. he went to the That's gun problem. store. He went to the gun store to get bullets. And for, he has three types of guns. I don't know what they're, what they're called or whatever. Sure. But the gun store was totally sold out of ammunition. Jesus. And so he went to another gun store, and they were totally sold out of ammunition. And we're talking three days before the election, before, oh, two, before the Tuesday election. And he went to, he called up about two or three more gun stores, mm. and they were all out of ammunition. People actually thought there was going to be a shooting war, open, open, open right. shooting, gun yeah. battles in the street. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, the only bullet they had, like in stock at all these stores, were like for some, you know, semi-automatic uh, something like that. I don't know, a Uzi or something like that. But everything okay. else was sold out. So people were hoarding bullets. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, man. So that's kind of scary, man. That's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we still have about uh, 40, 50 days until uh, the change of uh, power, you know? So, Uh, (laughs) you know, in in, in one sense, this is giving him too much credit, but, you know, if you were to give him a lot of credit, you could say, well, he's. He's letting the air out of the balloon slowly for these people, you know. He's uh, he's he's now. I know that's not true because he doesn't think like that. But in a sense, it's kind of it's kind of letting them down, you know. If it had just happened all at once, they might have poured out into the streets with all those, uh, you know, heavily armed with all those bullets. I don't know. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. You have to give him credit for that. That he, he he says he's still the winner. It was stolen from him, and just let, let's just wait and see, kind of stuff. So, right, right. you know, and before the bullets start to fly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just going to wear them out. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. But, but, you know, to, to coincide with that, before we get to our guests, because I want to, yes. uh, we'll get to, uh, um, you know, bullets are sold out. But I don't know if you've noticed this. You do a lot of grocery shopping for your family, right? You like to get out of the house and. Sure. Yes, and I do. Do the grocery shopping, which I've done even before this all started, I, I go do, and I go to uh, one. I go to a certain market for this. I go to a certain market for that, and I go to a certain mm. market for alcohol. You oh, know, old style. I, yeah, yeah, I, I do that. Um, but I've noticed. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, like at the chain market that I go to, um, and the place I go to get alcohol and libations, and a couple other places that sell alcohol that. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's really weird and crazy to me 
is that all these places now are promoting little bottles of alcohol, like the kind you get on an airplane. Really? Have you seen this? I haven't noticed that. Oh, well, it's really weird. I, I, went, I went to the local chain, you know, uh, the big supermarket that starts with an R, right. and they have this huge display now of the little bottles. They are cute, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, and they're cheap, you know. Right. And then I went to the place where I go to get my libations all, every week, and they have a huge display of little bottles. Okay. <laughs> so I got curious about this, and I went to a couple other supermarkets that are kind of chain supermarkets, and they all have the same thing. The little bottle display, little bottle, scotch, vodka, gin, blah, all the stuff that you get on an airplane. Hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, is it that because people want to drink and they want to drink really fast and they can't really afford a big bottle, that they could just go and get a $1.99 bottle of vodka and you know down it right there, with a chase it down with some cranberry juice? Or is it just that the airlines can't sell any of these little bottles because no one's flying, that they're just trying to get rid of it and they're getting I'll bet, it? I'll bet that's it, Manny. I bet that's exactly what it is. You know, you got you to gotta move this merchandise, man. Yeah. So I just find it funny. I mean, I love the little bottles. Who doesn't like a little bottle? Right. Yeah. You know, well, it, it, it works for, you know, if, if, if bars are closed and you just want to walk the streets and make yourself a, a quick to go drink, you know, you could uh, have a couple of those in your car. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, of course, you could do that with a big bottle. You know, in, in alcohol news, one positive thing I, I, I discovered today is that uh, Seagram's gin, the, 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 uh, the handle size, you know, the gallon now comes in a plastic jug that's been glass all these years. And so, uh, oh. yeah, so you know, it's, it's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit more uh, um, roadworthy. You know, it's not going to break on you, you know, falling out of your bag on the, on the way uh, down from your hotel room. So. So, you know, some things are getting better. Okay, well, good. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know yeah. you were a Seagram's gin guy. I thought you were mm -hmm. a, uh, uh, what's that, a Sapphire. Uh, no, no, I know. I never like Sapphire. I like uh, Bombay Dry. Oh, Bombay, yeah, Bombay. And, yeah. and I like, I like uh, Beef Eaters. And, but uh, for, for a regular day-to-day uh, -day, uh, home gin, you know, uh, I, I, like the, uh, I like the Seagram's. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good medium, you know, medium shelf uh, Poor. And it's cheaper probably too, right? It is cheaper. <laughs> That's right, Manny. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> yeah. All right, introduce our guest. Okay. So our, our, <laughs> our guest has been a, been a, he's a lifelong New Orleanian. He's, he's been a professional musician for many years. Um, I only met him in the, in the last year or so. He's, he's, a, he's a, dr a drummer, percussionist, composer, as well as a teacher. Uh, he's he's plays with an incredible uh, lineup of people. You know, he has like George Porter. He spent many years with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, uh, currently plays with Ani DeFranco and Tab Benoit and Samantha Fish. And he was out on tour with the Last Waltz tour uh, until touring got shut down. Anyway, uh, without further ado, Terrence Swamp Grease Higgins. <laughs> Welcome, Terrence. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me, man. It's great. It's great to be here. Ma Man, thanks for coming on here. You know, I, I know, uh, you know, you, you, even though all touring is shut down, when I contacted you, you were actually out on tour last week. <laughs> man, you know, man, touring is such a big part of I mean, my career. Uh, I do probably more touring, but, you know, since we've been shut down, it's like everybody's in the same boat. But, um, 
you know, we're just trying to figure out how to get out safely, social distance wise, and um, just make some things happen, you know, to try to salvage whatever we can of the industry. But, uh, man, it's crazy, man. So I went on a couple of tours, one with Samantha Fish, and we went out a couple of weeks and we did some driving stuff and some amphitheater type gigs. And then I went Mm -hmm. out with Tab Benoit for the last three weeks. And, you know, we did the rhyming and uh, some social distance gigs. Rhyming Auditorium in Nashville, man. Yeah, Yeah. incredible. Wow, man. You said you'd played there before, though, huh? Yeah, I played there uh, with the last waltz. I think I did something with Ani there and maybe even Warren Haynes. So, uh, uh, yeah, so it's like that's like a regular kind of a regular stop every now and then, you know. Nice man, nice. So, so, when you, so when, wait, hold on a sec. When you t- when you say you're touring, are, are you guys on a bus together or in uh, yeah. a van together? Or? Well, Samantha has a Sprinter, and it's, it was only like a trio, and then okay, but Tab okay. has a trio as well. But he has a tour bus, and uh, okay. So, but we like this. Well, some of the only people out there, man. There may be a handful of bands that are doing some venues right now, and there's not much music traffic man and you know on this last tour we got through through virginia and everything started to shut down again so we almost lost a few dates but we were still able to plow through and keep the dates but we had to have a smaller capacity which affects the uh you know the bottom line and then we had to do some nights we had to set it up to do two shows for the price of one you know what i'm saying so it was like it got weird right it got weird <laughs> Well, well, we're th- we're thrilled to. Uh, we're sorry that you're not out there on the road right now. Of course, I guess Thanksgiving you'd be home anyway. But uh, anyway, it's it's a, a real treat to have you on on the podcast. So uh, I first met you uh, earlier this year with uh, Len Drury, and yeah. and uh, you, you you came in and and uh, you had a rehearsal with her, but I couldn't make the rehearsal. And then I, so I think the first time we played together was actually on the bandstand. It was, yeah, it was good. and. Uh, <laughs> It was total kicks, man, and you know I, I was. Uh, it was just so easy to play with you, and and there was like not a second of struggle about it. And I was watching you play today in in, uh, in a video, and you were doing a, a like a seminar kind of thing. And I was thinking, man, you play so relaxed. You know, that's that. I know that's got to be. You know, you have a lot of chops, and but but you know, when you need them, but it's not something that that's on display at all. Right. Um, but just the relaxed feel, man, it's, it's, it's so comfortable. Well, you know, I, I think I've played all the notes that I really, you know, <laughs> I think, I, <laughs> I think I got that out of my system, you know, uh, years ago, but I think it's just when you get, uh, further along in your career, you start to understand your role as a drummer, as a musician, and what artists like and what artists are looking for. You know, as a lot of drummers I know, uh, I see young drummers coming up. They, they don't serve the music. They they play for themselves, which is, you know, that's fine. But, you know, when somebody hiring you, man, you got to understand where their thing is. You know, you bring your thing to the table, too. But, you know, you got to understand where their thing is and support that. And that's what I'm all about. And I think uh, once artists start to discover that about me, they find some comfort in that. And then I think through word of mouth, you know, my name has gotten around in some um, some really different circles outside of New Orleans, which is like really fantastic. Because if I look at the trajectory of my career of being a local drummer here, um, I, I mean, I really don't know if New Orleans really know 
like what I do on the level that I do it at sometimes. I, I don't really think New Orleans really right. know. Um but I mean I'm 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 out there with the big dogs, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you no know? kidding, man. I mean it's yeah it's incredible. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. The you know the 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 lineup of people you've you've played with oh unbelievable well, let me well, let me go back to before we get into that so you're you're from new orleans uh but you you grew up in algiers on, on yeah, the west I'm bank from the west bank i grew up you know in algiers um and you know new orleans the, the algiers this is a little bubble in itself you know what i'm saying not a lot of music, sure sure but i actually i actually grew up for a bunch of years my my school years on in, in in Algiers as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, what what high school did you wind up going to? I went to Walker High. I went to Edna Carr Junior High. I went to Edna Carr Junior High myself. All right. <laughs> what year you? Uh, what year were you there? Oh, um, I think I was there like seventy five, seventy six. Oh, well, yeah. That, I was actually that's weird. I was actually the drum major in nineteen seventy six of, oh. of of Carr Junior High School. Yeah, that's way before me, man. I, I mean, I think sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I, yes. I came around. I was in car and bound uh, a eighty eighty four eighty five. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you're about seven years younger than yeah, me. Yeah, I think I figured out. Yeah. So, so you went to Walker and and but why not Noka? Actually, uh, I auditioned for Noka, and um, what happened was it was weird because this was I auditioned with Ellis Marcellus, and it's crazy because. Right. The year I auditioned was his last year. Mm-hmm. So I wind up, the next year would have been my senior or junior year in high school. And I wind up not going to NOCO for the reason that, that cause Ellis left. So I was like, ah, I'm not going to go to NOCO. I'm going to just, okay. uh, yeah. So I didn't go to NOCO, but my band director was pretty, pretty bad dude. Um, now was that, was that Frank Marinaro? No, his name was Gus Walker. Um, okay, all right. Frank was gone, but yeah, time Frank was gone, right. and we had Gus. Gus came in from Florida A and M University, and um, he was a bad dude. Like he really, you know, he was real big into the marching band, and you know, he had me on, uh, you know, concert band and jazz band, and I was a McDonald's All American. He was, uh, he was, right. yeah, yeah. So man, that what what a tremendous honor. Yeah, 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 yeah. A, They only take what two people from every state or yeah, something like that. Absolutely, and I, I made it on snare drum. It was me and Marlon Jordan. That were chosen sure. from from Louisiana that particular year, and um, it was pretty crazy, man. Like you know, when you think the magnitude of that, like they had five thousand applicants in the state of Louisiana that year. Uh-huh. So <laughs> and they picked two, and the big two, and we might have we might have had a little influence, uh, but you know. We made it, nonetheless. You know what I'm saying. That's still a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, 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 you got there, and, and you, and you, and you cut the gig totally. It oh, wasn't yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, anybody snuck you in. Yeah, know? no, I didn't get, I didn't get uh, the the uh, the back door. You know, sneak in. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, Terrence, um, you're born in 1970. Uh, now, who who introduces you to drums? Uh, your, your father, your grandfather, who? my great grandfather, actually. Um, he gave me a set of bongos when I was about okay. four or five years old. My great-grandfather was from um, Honduras. Okay. Um, All right. So uh, he came over, I guess, you know, whenever he came over. <laughs> but um, right. he introduced me to the bongos, and I remember uh, having these little bongos, and I joined uh, the school band, and, you know, and, and it was just a snare drum 
from that there on and everybody knew me as the little drummer dude you know, <laughs> you know? now uh, he's being from honduras uh so you you listen to a lot of latin music uh, at home not, not particularly i mean I, no? I, I was raised by my grandmother so i listened to a lot of uh older music like 50s and 60s uh stuff that was out and you know uh-huh. a lot of uh soul and r&b stuff it's weird because you know we didn't have a lot of rock and roll going on in my house so yeah. you know that that came later in my <laughs> in my absorption of music you know but you know my grandmother raised me so it was a lot of r&b and soul music you know from her era okay and do you still have those bongos i do not but i do have a oh. i do have a picture of the bongos uh when i was uh I was in kindergarten, and it was a school play at uh, my elementary school, and I had to do the bongo solo for the for the uh, for the performance, and uh-huh. and uh, the solo was the intro to uh, "Isn't She Lovely." Oh, Stevie Wonder, right? Yeah. So that was the whole. That was my bongo solo, my first performance. <laughs> nice, nice. So, so uh, you're you get out of high school. You're I, I know some of your first professional work is uh, working with uh, Mark Adams at the Absinthe Bar. Absolutely. Well, that, actually, before that, I was working in Baton Rouge. I met uh, this jazz violinist by the name of Michael Ward. Uh, he was he okay. was playing sure. around. He was kind of smooth jazz dude, and he had right. I remember him. Yeah. So my freshman year, um, a, a, a drummer named Dowell Davis turned me on to this gig with Michael Ward. So I was a freshman. We would come back and forth and play New Orleans. We would play all the little uh, black clubs in New Orleans, from Pampies to um, right. you know, Fourth Edition, like every little corner bar in New Orleans. Before Frenchman Street, no Bourbon Street, we skipped that. We just was doing all the little black nightclubs around the commu- um, neighborhoods, and uh, we would do that. Right, right. Places that people don't even know are yeah. there unless you're from a- that neighborhood. Exactly, yes. exactly. And that's where yes. all the black folks went, and we played all mm-hmm. those clubs, and that's kind of where I cut my teeth. And this particular place okay. called Pam- Pampy's on Broad, St. Bernard and Broad, every Sunday from sure. 7 to 11. And it was like every musician that was anybody in New Orleans came through there, like People was playing with uh, Dr. John. People were touring with uh, Harry Connick would come. People were just everybody would come through that and sit in with us because we had this hot set. And that's where I right. cut my teeth. I was like 19, 19, 20. And then I cut my teeth in there. And then in Baton Rouge, I met this guitar player, singer, songwriter named Wendell Tilly. And we had and we formed this band called Funk House. F-U-N-C-H-A-U-S. And at okay. and at the time there was bands like Dash Rip Rock, Better Than Ezra, all these bands was just getting their thing, and we were kind of an indie rock band too. So I had like the smooth yeah. jazz R and B thing going, and then I had like the indie rock kind of singer songwriter uh, muscle I was kind of flexing. <laughs> so it was like, uh-huh. so I was getting music from those two angles, but my real New Orleans experience didn't come until a couple of years later. Um, I kind of moved back to New Orleans and I started playing with George Porter Jr. So, and uh, he actually okay. he actually heard me play with the, the the indie rock band and he was like, "Man, you know, you want to play my gig?" And he, uh, you know, so that's kind of how 
I got into the whole New Orleans thing. Even though I'm from New Orleans, it, right. it's like, you know, I kind of circumvented, you know, uh-huh. you know, it's like I went through all these other avenues of music and then I came back home to the, to my roots. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's good because you were just getting uh, well-rounded out there playing yeah, all those other yeah, things. You yeah, know? yeah, you, yeah. You, Terrence, you, Terrence, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. What is better than Ezra? I mean, I don't know what it means, but they were killing. <laughs> <laughs> they were killing little band back then. I remember. And they, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, Manny likes to pose that as a sort of an existential question. Just to, <laughs> you know, he just, well, I remember just, being in Los Angeles and hearing of this band called Better Than Ezra. You know, and I was like, okay, well. What's better than Ezra? They're better than Ezra, but not as good as what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we can define Ezra. I would be more than happy to know. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the variable that we have to have to. So George Porter Jr. was on our show a few weeks ago. Yes, it's funny, man. It's how, how all these dots are becoming connected. So we had George Porter on, then we had uh, uh, somebody else, then we had. Uh, John Groh, who also was was came up in the the, uh, yeah. the George Porter school, yeah. I, and 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 uh, Terrence, I heard you today say that that uh, talk about being in George Porter's band, saying it's a, like an incubator. Yeah, it's an institution, really. I mean, uh, a lot of musicians that are doing their thing now came through that. John was in a band like, after I left, and I was on okay. I was only in this band for like a year, and it was weird because me and George. You know, my audition with George was really strange. He had heard me playing all this other stuff on it. He came to Tipitina's and watched the Funk House band play. And he was like, come to my house for an audition. And so I get to his house and he was like, okay, let's play a shuffle. And we played a shuffle. And then he said, oh, he said, okay, you got the gig. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it was crazy because at that time I was already at the A bar doing like and you know, doing Bourbon Street for a little bit. And I was at the A bar doing blues with, you know, Mark. So my shuff- uh-huh. my shuffle game was on point, you know. <laughs> right, right. And and he was like, you know, here's here's a bunch of cassette tapes. We leave on uh, Friday, no rehearsal. So he gave me all these tapes. So I, at the time I had this Walkman and I, I was listening to all these tapes that he gave me. And then my Walkman starts to eat the tapes before, I, <laughs> you know, so I'm like trying to learn all this music and my tapes are getting eaten by my tape deck. So I was like, oh man, I'm on my own. <laughs> but, you know, it turned out to be a really cool gig. And, you know, George, after the first gig, George was like, man, he asked the band, Do, yeah, what do y'all think? And everybody was like, oh, he's great. So I wound up doing that gig for a year, and then I got an. Uh, I started working with. Uh, I was getting offers from like Michelle Shock, and then who else? Okay. Somebody else was trying to. Oh, Dirty Dozen was courting me, but I wound up. Yeah. I wound up taking the Dirty Dozen gig for visibility and notoriety. <laughs> right, and what a great band, man! And you know, Roger Lewis. I, 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 I love Roger so yeah. much, man. You must have learned a ton on playing with oh, him. Oh man, right? it was like I had already had the George Porter, Meters Funk, and because George had me playing like with like Snooks Eaglin, like Johnny Adams, uh, Earl right. King. Uh, you know, uh, I was playing with some gigs with this dude Bobby Marshan, and you know, uh-huh. so I was nice. I was really getting 
that whole R&B side of New Orleans music. But then mm-hmm. when it doesn't hire me, then that was a, a whole another encyclopedia of New Orleans music with the street, the second line. And I, and I brought the drum set to that. So that was a, an extra challenge to actually have to perform that stuff on a set, you know, which, you know, I mean, New Orleans. Instead of having, instead of having two different guys doing right, snare right, drum right. and bass ensemble. Yeah, so yeah. at that time, it, it became a conceptual thing. Like, how can I, you know, inject my thing and grow within this? And I actually saw it. I was like, you know, I, I can really take this and really shape it to mold it into something that I think is going to be cool. Um, and so I did, but I never lost that essence of what I do. You know what I'm saying? The feel, making the music feel good and being smart about the choices that I make, uh, when I'm performing and I just grew from there, man. And then from the dirty dozen, that was the world stage. And then, you know, it was like, you can get lost in a band that size with all those strong personalities musically, you can get lost, but the drummer sure. is still a heartbeat. But I think musicians started to notice what I was bringing to that band. I mean, musicians even outside of New Orleans. So I was, I yeah. would get calls from like, you know, just random, like Carl Denson or uh, Charlie Hunter, like all these dudes would call nice. me, you know? And then from nice. there, it just started snowballing into like, Warren Haynes and then you know then like then Ani and then like from that I met Don Woods and then it's like that opened up a whole another world of just like high visibility gigs man and it's like right because because you do you've done all these uh like the the last waltz that's a, a Don was he's the music director for that yeah right? Don was is the music director but that connection actually came through Warren Haynes because Warren okay I did Warren Haynes band for like two years and then that thing and then then I started with Ani but then Warren had called me this company, Blackbird Presents, has started putting together all these tribute shows. They did, like, the Nevilles. They did, like, Mavis Staples. They did, like, some Grateful Dead stuff. And this is – they would use Kenny Aronoff on all his gigs and because Don, that was okay. Don's guy. Yeah. But then they did the last waltz in New Orleans for Jazz Fest that first year. And then Warren called me. He was like, hey, man, got this gig. Um, Don was putting together this thing. Uh, would you play? And I was like, hey, absolutely. You know, if Warren Haynes call you, you never, you know, you don't say no. Right. So I was like, right. it's doing jazz fest. I was going to be home anyway. And then, but the whole principle was Warren's wife had pulled me to the side and she was like, Hey man, this is Don was, I want you to get to, I want him to know who you are because from mm-hmm. me, there's a lot of opportunities that could happen through Don was and sure enough she was right once once we played together that was that was it it was like no more Kenny Aronoff it was like you got the gig bro I was like all right wow (laughs) nice man god what a what a what a terrific uh you know situation of to because man Don was what a what a dynamo in the music business I mean, these days and yeah he's like you know he's the president of blue note you we know him from was not was you know Right, and producing a million pop records, yeah. and yeah. and yes, as you say, now the president of Blue Notes, right. so doing all that in his spare time. Right, but then also, you know, music directs all these things, <laughs> uh, all these uh, big tribute shows. Absolutely. that uh, you know, the- absolutely, man. And then from man, one thing oh, left to one thing led to the next, and then I was like, man, I'm on this trajectory every year. It's financially, it, it eclipsed the last year, and then 2020 was so ridiculous. 
I mean, not 2020, 2019 was so ridiculous. And then 2020 hit, and then I'm like, oh, wait, what happened? Right. <laughs> That's the sound of the, the somebody uh, grabbing the, the needle of the record and scraping it off. That's that's the sound effect that we have there. Eep. Yeah, poverty, man. But you know what? Right, right. I'm still, I'm still actually re- uh, reeling from those connections because uh, I got a call like last week. It's weird. I missed the call, but it was a call from Keb Mo. <laughs> So nice. so Catmore calls me and says, Hey Terrence, man, um yeah, I got your number, man. I, I want to talk to you about some drumming. And, and he said, Give me a call. So I call him back and apparently he wants me to play uh on his next record, which is gonna happen in January. And get this, Vince Gill is producing it, and Vince Gill recommended me for the gig. Nice, nice, because you, because you, because you played with him on the on the uh, the 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 uh, Willie Nelson. Exactly. Nice, and and, you know we only played that one song, but I remember at the Willie Nelson rehearsal, and before Vince Gill, like we all these artists were rehearsing, and then Vince was the next, and I'm just in my zone going through my charts and whatever, and then Vince Mm -hmm. Gill walked up and he was like, Terrence, hey man, he shook my hand, he said, man killing man uh, he said i love your feel i love what you're doing and i was like whoa that was vince gill like it, it was just like i was like and i hadn't even played with him yet and then so that was a connection right there and but you just nice, you just nice. never know man sure you know sure man but once you once you i think once you're out there in in that circle it's a lot of trust and it's like if somebody else see you know who you rocking with and how they respect what you're doing you know, it's quite e- it's easy for them to say, "Hey, maybe I should get his cat." You know, maybe he he can. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Because they they know Don was isn't going to have somebody out there who's 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 going to oh, you no. know jerk him around oh, no. or, or or fall apart or have a problem. Oh no, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. not. I mean, the productions that I've done with him, the Elvis tribute. I mean, that was an NBC show. We had to back all these huge artists, J Lo. I mean, everybody, Post Malone. I mean, it was just like everybody, right? But we had, you know, we had to rehearse and we had to be on point because, right. you know, you don't get us really a second chance. So. J Lo, J Lo did a tribute to Elvis Costello. No, Elvis Presley. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was uh, it was a reenactment of the '68 comeback special that N- that oh. came on NBC. I think it was last year. It was pretty hot, actually. Nice, nice, nice. Well, uh, well, Terrence, um, we usually take a break in the uh, oh, yeah. about this time in the podcast, and I, I can always tell when it's time because I just look at my glass, and when it looks <laughs> empty, then I, I know it's time. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll take a, well. The nation knows what we do, so everyone go get their libation, and we'll be right back. All right.
And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Terrence Higgins. Now, Terrence, Ooh. I'm not sure if you're uh, familiar with this terrific product that uh, that that uh, sponsors the uh, the Troubled Men podcast. But uh, Manny, why don't you tell Terrence about this product? It's called Hendrix Gin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, my favorite. I need to meet those guys. Not yeah. in a plastic bottle. No, not a bottle. No, listen, uh, uh, Mr. Higgins, Terrence. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. We we've been talking. We've been associated with a, a product called the Velo Bar, V E L O Bar. It is a a CBD protein bar which is, uh, you know, CBD is the huge thing now, and it's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. It's the perfect dose to take the edge off of whatever you're dealing with right now. And, of course, we're dealing with a lot of shit this year. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a healthy protein bar, Terrence, that'll fill you up and calm you down. Now, I don't know if you're into this stuff. Uh, I've gotten into it because I think they're delicious. They come in two great flavors, a dark chocolate, and a peanut butter flavor, and it's the ingredients are like plant-based protein from healthy superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's it's a great breakfast bar. It's something that tastes great. You know, uh, you can have after a workout or maybe working out in your backyard. You know, mowing mm. the lawn. Right. So, Terrence, I'm telling you, man, you got to check this out. And right now, Terrence, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com. And place an order and use the promo code TroubledMen15, you will get 15% off your order. 15% off your order plus free shipping, which we love. We love yes. the free shipping. But I'm telling you, Terrence, you know, I don't know if you're doing this, uh, if you like that kind of stuff. It, you know, uh, uh, But it, 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 for me, I love it because I like to uh, uh, go out in the yard and um, – try to scream at all the cats that are trying to shit in my yard and, <laughs> and it takes uh, it takes a it takes a lot of stress off it's called the velo bar it's a stress relief bar it's a cbd bar and it's a protein bar and it's great and right now order get free shipping if you and 15 percent off if you use the promo code troubled men one five check it out nation they know all about it tell all your friends terrence yes I'll yes go, yeah yes. And as always, if you want to support the Troubled Men podcast directly, uh, you know there's no entrance fees, there's no uh, no codes you have to buy. But uh, if you if you want to support us directly, you can uh, jump on that PayPal uh, link there in the show notes or the uh, Facebook page, and uh, you know buy us a cocktail or contribute to our operating expenses. And uh, again, we still have the the T-shirts. Troubled Men podcast T-shirts are going out, so uh, you know enjoy those. Yeah. All right, well, back to our guest, Mr. Terrence Swamp Grease Higgins. Um, so, Terrence, getting back to when we first met, I, that we played that first weekend of gigs together, and it just felt better and better. Um, oh, yeah. And, and at the, during the, the last one we were playing, you, you said, oh, man, I, I, I got to go home tonight and uh, send a few drum tracks off to a client that, yeah. I, that I've cut at my house and I was intrigued by that and I wanted to, to hear more about that and then you said and then I got to get up and fly early tomorrow to New York and I said really what are you doing in New York you said oh, I'm going to play with the Seth Meyers band this week 
So, oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? No shit. Like how they have, uh, if Fred Armisen isn't there, they have a guest drummer that plays all week with them. That's going to be you. You said, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and you did. And I watched you all that week. That must've been so cool. Huh? Oh man, that was, that was, that was great, man. I actually almost forgot about that. Jeez. But yeah, that was a pretty fun time. Like, um, my name came up, I guess, you know, they've, they've been hiring a bunch of different drummers to come on every week and they've been doing it for a while. And, you know, my name came up, I got the calls, like I was available, but then it was right before the last waltz tour mm-hmm. with Robbie, with Robbie Robinson. So it was something I had to talk about. So, you know, they, they, they'll bring you on, but they want, you know, if you want to promote a record, what, what do you want to promote? Right. Yeah. And it's, I, it helps yeah, if right. it's relevant for the, the time period. Right. Right. Exactly. So we got a little mileage out of uh, promoting the last waltz uh, tour uh, prior to me being on that. I mean, you know, so it was great. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> One that, of those things, man. It was trips, man. I mean, it was it, it was it was a trip because then you know I I would turn it on that week. I was like, yeah, that's the guy I played with on Saturday night. <laughs> 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 like, it's just it's just one of those things, man. You just never know. Uh, when it's going to come in like you got to be prepared man you got to be prepared you know i go back to the elvis thing all right mm-hmm. i remember don called me i have been working with don and i feel like every time i work with don it's a different task and it's a different test okay and i, I know he's comfortable with me but when he called me for that elvis thing he was like look man check out the elvis 68 comeback special this is what we're going to be doing da 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 but he flew me in um, to the first re- week of rehearsals was at Capitol Studio, uh, Capitol Re- Records Studio A. Nice, man. Where I- everything went down. I Sinatra, yes. I can't. And I walk in, and there's a on the podium. There's a folder that says Elvis. Big the the uh, uh, I guess it was the the, the music uh, conductors folder that says Elvis. Uh-huh. And that's when it hit me, man. Yeah. And then I see my the Texas setting up my drums because we multi-tracked the entire first week of rehearsals. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it, it's crazy. And, I, and that's when it hit me, man. It's like, dude, you're here. <laughs> like all that other stuff I had done went out the window. I was just like, that's great. But this is the moment, man. Okay. And, you know, so you got to be prepared, man. And then, you know, to get that set thing. Uh, that's like you're on TV, you rehearse with the band, you know, they have to be comfortable with, with what's happening. And a lot of that stuff is on the drummer. All those cues. Oh, sure, man. Oh, man. No, you're that, you're in a, a position that one fuck yeah. up is, is disaster right. for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, those are my cues. Right. I, I cue the, uh, the, the uh, sit down, the artists walk in, all of those uh, endings are me. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were on the Seth Meyers gig um, in the green room, did you have Hendrix gin? I uh, did wow. not, but uh, it actually didn't come through the wire that, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on your writer. Now, New York Capitol yeah. Records in LA, right? Oh, yeah. Where'd they put you up? Um, where did, I can't even remember where I stayed at that particular time. It was a nice hotel, though. It was, uh, you know what? The hotel was uh, right near um, 
What's the theme park? Uh, Universal Studios. It was all right, right, right. there. So you were over Studios. in the Burbank area, North Hollywood yeah, area. Yeah. Well, that's pretty yes, weird. Sir. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you something. You've worked, I've read your bio and all that. You worked with so many people. It's like amazing. This resume is just amazing of the the names you've worked with. (laughs) Um, Let me ask you something about uh, Nora Jones. Ah, I got a Nora story. Yeah, uh, because I got a thing for her. Is she? Oh, man. Is she cool? She's absolutely incredible. And my first experience working with her, um, Dirty Dozen Brass Band, we was doing this record. Uh, I think it's called Medicated Magic was the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went up to New York and we had Dr. John and, you know, a couple uh, other artists came in. But Nora came in and we were actually signed with the same label. So the producer, Craig Street, brought her in. And man, let me tell you, when she we were we were all just like wanting to marry her, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I said because I, I've had a thing like, for her. Oh my god! And she sat down at the piano, man, and we, she sang "Ruler of My Heart." Uh-huh. Nice, the Irma, Irma tune. Yeah. And let me tell you, I mean, hairs were standing up on the back of my neck, and I, I don't even have hair. <laughs> <laughs> and look, let me tell you, man, it was one of those moments where it was like, oh my god, who is this little lady? It was that mind boggling to hear her voice coming through my 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 in ear my um my uh, headphones. Yeah. yeah, you know, recording the song with her, like, and I, and she's incredible, man. But that was a great experience, man. Okay. She's a sweetheart too. No, oh, that's what I want to hear because, like I said, oh, yeah, yeah, she's absolutely, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, I, the, the the different types of bands and and music and solo artists you worked with is. Just incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you, you like. Uh... Oh man, I'm changing gears every five yeah. minutes, man. Music, musically, <laughs> and you know that's that's my mo. You know that's um, that's what I do. You know, I try to play with the artist for the music. You right, know, and, right, and that's I get the best results. And I, <laughs> you even played with Fats Domino. I played with Fats. Nice, man, yeah. That was that was. I got a fat story. <laughs> Tell it. Well, during the rehearsals, uh, you know, we were rehearsed. Well, Roger Lewis from Dirty Dozen was uh, in Fat's band for years. And um, so Roger actually brought me in. And I remember sitting in Fat's Domino living room, rehearsing with all his band, Herbert Hardesty, wow. Roger. I mean, all those dudes wow, who was around. Man, nice. Jimmy Boy. And I'm the... Uh, uh, who was on bass? Uh, Irvin Charles was on bass. Nice. So, man, I'm sitting in, I'm just like the youngest dude. Sure. And all of these old guys in here was like ribbing each other, like, you know, just acting like adolescents. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and they're all like 40 years older than me. And I felt like I was the adult in the room. It was like, like the strangest thing. <sighs> but I, I said to myself, when I get that age, that's exactly how I wanted to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like they lived their life, and it was just having so much fun being around each other. And Fats was a Fats was incredible, and uh, it was just like I'm sitting in the middle of history. Yes, and I was just absorbing it all. But I felt like I got the tail end of that great um, 
New Orleans legacy. Yeah. You know, with Fats and uh, Johnny Adams and Snooks and all those dudes. Right. Who were, there's no were, more of those coming down the pipe. There's no more. Oh, right. I, got the, I got the last of it. Through George, through the Dirty Dozen. Right. I got the last of it. So any drummer after me, I don't didn't really get it. Yeah, nobody else is going to get to play in Johnny Adams' band or, or play yeah, in Snooks. Yeah, no. no, no. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, I, I think I'm well-rounded in terms of the New Orleans thing. I got the whole spectrum. But it's even bigger than that. You know, I can leave that... I have that. It's kind of like in me. That's that my DNA is New Orleans. Sure. And I think that's one of the things that sets me apart because I can, you can hear me playing with Ani DeFranco, but there's something about that New Orleans tinge that I can't turn off. Sure. But it's not as obvious as say, like I'm just playing some second line beat all over her music. It's in there. It's implied. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. Oh, when I'm doing last, when I'm doing last waltz, I'm channeling, um, you know, uh, I'm channeling that, that energy, you know, and it's like New Orleans is in there to me. It's in New Orleans to me. It's in everything. Well, sure, as as, so, as you say, it's part of your DNA, man. It's it's in right, 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 right. I mean, you can play the you can play Levon Helm, but it's always going to sound like Levon Helm as as uh, you know New Orleans, which was funny because that's what Levon was going for in the first place. You know, exactly. He, he was, exactly. Levon was trying to be uh, Earl Palmer. So that's, you know? <laughs> and that's my that's my point. And somebody would ask me one day, "Well, how did you get that gig?" Uh, I was like, "Well." Because if you check it out, I'm the guy for the gig. Right. You know what I mean? Because Levon was challenging New Orleans. Yep. If you hear it, that's where he was coming from. Yeah, no, he so, he'll see, he says it in, in the movie, man. He talks about, exactly. about, about uh, you know, working out some some uh, some Earl Palmer shit for hours and hours. And he goes, then I then I listen to the next part of the record. And I go, oh, forget it. I could never do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And there's a direct lineage. Yes. From New Orleans through all of that. So I think that's why I'm so comfortable with any gig that I can do, because I do believe that New Orleans is ground zero musically and anything after that is based off what we do here anyway. So Well, now, now do you have any <laughs> New Orleans drummers that you you really, uh, you know, but, I mean, George is a mentor, but it's uh, uh, drummer wise. I mean, I've I've checked out every New sure, Orleans drummer. Sure, but you you didn't actually like yeah. go study with somebody. You just played in the I, I never, band and kind I, of put it together yourself from records and stuff. Pretty much. Wow. No, I I mean I I've shared it with some of my friends who you know, right? They weren't like they were my age, you know, a little older and turning me on to certain things. But in terms of the New Orleans thing, I, that's a personal development, and just from the musicians that I was associating with, and knowing what to listen to, you know, when I'm presented with an, a musical opportunity, you know, I, it's a lot. It's a lot entails with that, man, because I I tend to play genres for what they are. Like if I'm playing Latin music, I want to play the the finest nuance of that music. Within the vocabulary of that. With, yes. Right. I don't want to sound like some some New York dude playing Latin music or, or some dude from Kansas playing Latin music. I want to sound like I'm from Cuba. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or if I'm playing reggae, I want to sound like I'm from Jamaica. If I'm from New Orleans, I want to sound like I'm from New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? So that's my thing. I try to get to the 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 uh, the finest points of the rhythm, articulating that and making it my own. And then I think that's what translates 
to artists. It's a weird thing. I, I, I don't know if it's intangible or, or what. It's just a weird thing that well, is subtle too. Well, it's hard it's to not, describe, but it's easy to recognize. I would say, you know, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, you know it when you hear. Yes, it. yes, yes. Now, um, so. ju- ju- jump into to something like somewhat related. Uh, you know, we we, we throw out uh, uh, questions uh, to to past guests who have an association with future guests, and and one of the past guests came up. They said, "Ask Terrence about playing tambourine." Oh my god! And, then, and so what I wanted to ask, and I see that that you your credit is playing Pandero on on another record, so I wanted you to talk about uh, both of those instruments and and playing that now. Uh, you know, I saw you playing tambourine like in the Mardi Gras Indian style or, you know, kind of gospel uh-huh. style, you know, where you're holding it with your, your right hand and, and but still playing with your whole left hand. Anyway, you talk about all that. Well, the pandiero is I, I, that's a different approach than the tambourine. Sure, sure. Um, but my tambourine is basically New Orleans Church and Mardi Gras Indian concept. Right. And and self taught. It's like nobody actually sat down and showed me how to actually do Did it. Did you grow I just up kinda, in the church? Did you were you around that that music? I, I, as a, a, kid? a little, a little bit, okay. but it's just you know when you're associated with New Orleans musicians, you're gonna. I mean, it's inevitable that you, you're gonna you hear people that yeah. are that came up with that. Yes, from that yeah, tradition. Yeah. Yes, so, the tradition is there. Yeah, and you know what the tambourine thing. I remember I was out with George Porter and. Schofield, we did a Piety Street thing. John Schofield, yes, yeah, great jazz yeah. guitar player. That so, was, must have been a great gig, and, man. And then, yeah, it was great because it was John Cleary, George Porter, and uh, then I finally got the gig after Ricky Fatar had the gig. Okay, Bonnie Rachel drummer. So I oh, came man. in, and so Sco was like, "Take a solo," and I just grabbed the tambourine. So right. I did this big tambourine solo, and somebody filmed it. And I you know, saw that today. Kinda, That's what I watched today. But but the whole thing, it was cool because that was totally improv. Uh-huh. And, and, but I got a after I did that tour, I got a call from this uh, producer from Canada to do um, this uh, R and B tribute at this at this theater for like a month, right? And he hired me based on being recommended, but he wanted me to implement that tambourine solo into the production of the show. <laughs> okay. But a feature so, spot based on that, that know, one thing in the moment that you did that somebody based, uh, randomly happened to capture and throw up on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. And so that, that turned into an opportunity because I opened the show with the tambourine solo. Oh, okay, right. It's yeah. called it was, so was the show was called Rock and Soul. And it was like a huge, I had like three guitars, it had like seven different vocals, they had like uh keyboards, horn section. I mean, it was like a big production. Right. And so the tambourine kind of got me a gig. Nice. And it's in terms of the pandiero, I picked up that from Charlie Hunter. And because I I mean I was checking him out i had did some tours with with charlie but he could play the crap out of that thing right because man that's a whole thing like in brazil like there's it's it's amazing is they could have they even have like competitions you know like uh right like slap bass competitions that kind of thing where guys just are so adept at it it's a it's a mind oh yeah man 
it, it's an art, man. It's like the tambourine. It's but the pandero thing is serious art. But I like the way I use it. I mean, I can play funk beats with it. I, I don't just do like Brazilian beats. I do like and sometimes when I'm like working on music at home, I'll start off with a pandero kind of rhythm, like playing like a boom, and I'll get that going, and then I'll just start writing some tune on top of it uh-huh. before I before I even put drums on, and it gives us this whole funky thing, man. It's like, oh man, I love I love both of those, yeah, man, those subtle That's instruments. So nice. But listen, Terrence, Terrence, uh, I mean, you worked with like so many people. I mean, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, I'm reading all this stuff. Um, was there anyone that you didn't really care for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good question, oh, Manny. Let, let me see. Let me see. Let me think about. It. No, you know, actually, everybody I work with actually was on par, one hundred percent sweethearts. You know, I mean, nice. And I, I think I've been blessed because. I don't like working with buttholes, you know, uh, uncool people. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, 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 I don't, you know, and I, don't, I haven't really ran into it. I think I'm, so, I'm pretty selective too about who I work with, mm-hmm. and, um, and just I'm lucky because the calls that I've been getting have been with cool people. Well, well it's it's interesting that like at that level, like the Don was level, everybody's great, but also everybody's cool, right? Oh man, you know those are the sweetest dude. Like Warren Haynes, bro. Don was like they—they they don't have to be like you know. Some artists could be uptight. I've, I've heard horror stories about how some artists can be, man. But these dudes—they don't say—they don't have to say anything. Warren had this thing where he would never tell us what to play, but he would imply things in a sweetest way. To help to make us change our, you know, our approach or whatever. Nice. You know, but it was it was just like a super cool. And Don was the same way. And what was what I like about them? They will ask you for advice. Yeah. They, you know, you know, it's it been so many times where I'm sitting back there and say, Terrence, what do you think? And then I'll come up with an idea. Oh, great idea. Let's do that. You don't, you don't, like, you don't oh. think they were trying to <laughs> rip you off though? Nah, man. I just think they want us to. They hire us to do what we do, mm-hmm. and they hire us to bring something to the table. So let me ask you something: What was what? What kind of last name is that? Where are you from? Man. If your last name is Was, W A S. I have to ask him about that. You know, is that that's Polish a or Swedish? Well, if or? I ha- if I if I had to just guess, and I don't know this for a fact, but it's I would guess that it's a much longer Jewish last name that yeah. is abbreviated oh, yeah. to uh, just those three letters. And Polish might be a good first guess, Manny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, so, so yeah, yeah. You know, I was, uh, w- our last guest, John Groh, actually told a story about a nightmare gig, which uh, it was with Chris Owens. And if you listen to the podcast, you would agree that does sound like a nightmare gig. Um but so do you have any kind of, it's kind of related to Manny's question, not to be, uh, you know, cause you, you don't have to throw anybody under the bus for this one. Although I hate that phrase, but uh, the, the, can you think of like a worst gig or one of your worst oh. gigs ever? Obviously not with Don was, but <laughs> you know, yeah, no, I mean, your pretty Don was days. I mean, I can't really think about okay. any, 
All any right. bad gigs. Because I can. <laughs> but I'm serious. I mean, you got to realize, for the, for, I was with Dirty Dozen Brass Band for over 15 years. So, I mean, I tour with them exclusively. I mean, I still done other little local gigs. Now, there may be some local shit that I was like, ah, oh, this gig sucked. But, I mean, I, I can't even think it about it. in I, one I, ear and out the other. You know, yeah, it was like, you know. You know, Johnny Vodakovich, yeah. I saw him talking about uh, the, the, this concept of playing gigs and relating it to baseball. He was going, yeah, no, I, I love baseball because, like, you know, if you have a bad game, if you lose the game, guess what? We play tomorrow. You know, exactly. You got another game and I've tomorrow. Had, like, I've had some subpar performances on my end, you know. Well, they uh, all can't be your yeah. best gig by exactly. definition, you know. Exactly. I mean, I, there was just one gig real quick. We did this. I was with Dirty Dozen Brass Band, and we were playing with the Dayton, uh, Ohio Dance Company. So what they did was they had this performing arts theater um, series. They toured playing with Dirty Dozen Music, but they were at first they were doing it pre-recorded, but then they hired us to be the band for the performance okay and you know these dancers they got these routines worked out to the music and they're counting constantly <laughs> right right so we was doing like a suite like a three-part four-part movement and we were in new york in a theater and i skipped i skipped this was one of the most humbling um fuck-ups of my career <laughs> so i skipped the whole movement <laughs> Okay. And I and and I was so confident. Right. I was, I was screaming. I was screaming at the band, saying, "You idiots! Huh? You idiots!" <laughs> I love it. On on the stage, right, or in the pit. And then I looked up and I realized huh? it was me. Huh? And then, so it was like the tempo difference for for the uh the 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 movements were like I don't know six seven uh clicks uh-huh. and. Uh-huh. So the, that means the dancers had to do it faster. <laughs> so they just sped up their counts. <sighs> they didn't miss a beat. And then actually I brought it back down when okay. I, once I realized. <laughs> That's when the professionalism kicks in. You realize you're oh, way man. out on a ledge and you got to walk it back here. Look, and look, it was so embarrassing. The band was laughing at me because... <laughs> It was a sold out theater, bro. They were just yeah. glad it wasn't them. Everyone was thinking, God, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> that did right. that. <laughs> it, I mean, I was so embarrassed after the show. But you know what? That made me say to myself, I will never be that guy. I will never screw up again. And I I don't know. That was a humbling experience for me. I think I had to go through that. And this probably helped make me who i am now <laughs> i'm sure it has man no I, i'm i'm i got chills hearing that story oh man it, it, it was huge bro any, any any other band i would have been fired if that would have been well if that would have been if that would have been nbc elvis comeback special with j-lo it would have had a new drummer the <laughs> The next take. Well, you know, it's the fact that you did it with confidence, Terrence. That's the thing. You know, oh, if you <laughs> don't don't be mealy mouthed about a fuck up. Let's <laughs> let's be fully uh fully and uh, fully engaged here. Oh man, it was terrible. Anyway, <laughs> well, can I touch on one one last thing again? We're we're on the the downslope, but Bobby Rush. You played on Bobby Rush's oh! last record. This is Bobby oh! Rush's follow-up to his Grammy-winning record that he put out a, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. 
Bobby Rush is what, 89? He just made 89 or something? Yeah, Bobby. Tell us about working with Bobby Rush. Well, you know, Bobby wasn't there. This was one of those, um, this producer, Vastai, uh, you know Vastai Johnson, huh? I know the name. Yeah, he produced he produced a little bit of the record. I think they had a couple of different producers. And Vastai called me. He was like, hey, man, do you have a studio that you can uh, we can cut these tracks in? I said, yeah, we can do it at my place. And at the time, I had an, I was at another facility. And so Vastai gets here, and I was just kind of building my little studio place. I was renting this rehearsal room. And so we started, we, we, he bought the track, and we started cutting. And then the band next door started rehearsing. So it was like this yat, I call it yat metal. Right. I didn't know they had so many yat metal bands in New Orleans. Oh, it's huge, <laughs> dude. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And I, I'm like, yo, is that... And then, bro, it's like they would. Sc- and then he was like, "Hey, man, how are we supposed to do this, bro?" And it's like, "This is this is Bobby Rush's record, man." Like, so he he had to call his friend who had another home studio. So we just uh, packed up. We went over to his place, and I was able to cut the drums to the tunes, and that's how we did the Bobby Rush thing. <laughs> nice, man. Nice again. Another, but you know, there, but it's crazy. There be- won't be any more Bobby Rushes, okay? But I love Bobby because I always see him like on a blues cruise, or and like he's a real sweet dude, man. Like we always, we'll wind up having breakfast on one of the cruises, you know what I'm saying? Like nice. you're running, you know, it's like he's a sweetheart, and he's always got his girls with him, and it's like super crazy. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Well, so we had one other question from a former guest. He said, uh, uh, "Tell us about swamp grease. What does swamp oh. grease mean to you?" Terrence. Okay, so Swamp Grease to me is the combination of, for me, it's the the New Orleans Swamp Funk feel mixed with whatever else greasy I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be R&B, that could be Second Line, that could be Mardi Gras Indian stuff. Right. It's just uh, a mixture of Something elements. Something slippery. Slippery. And you know what? It's weird because... That the when I came up with that name, I googled I googled it, and it didn't exist. Okay, so nice, yes, and, all right. Well, it's hard to find uh, uh, you know a title that somebody hasn't used already. Yeah, so it was like swamp. I was thinking swamp. That's that's where I'm from, and greasy. I like greasy. I kind of I'm kind of greasy. You know, I got the slanky thing. Yes, you know whatever. And you so say it right, the- greasy. It's it's not greasy. It's greasy. Yeah, um, it's so, greasy. You know, I was talking to my my daughter the other uh, last week on the phone, and I said she was telling me a story, and I said, well, the you know the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And right. <laughs> uh, and and she goes and she goes, well, it's the squeaky wheel gets the oil, and I said grease sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, as long as you don't say it gets gets to earl <laughs> yeah exactly well yeah, you know forget so, about that yeah yeah like we do it but yeah I, I there's one thing though I, when i i did one of my first i put out my first swamp geese record so i got this gig at jazz fest and i was so excited i was on like one of the big stages during the day like nice. right before like north mississippi all-stars or something and the dude was like all right next guest terrence higgins and swamp grass uh, <laughs> of course that's i was happen. like i was like oh <laughs> you should have slapped that guy man 
I was like, all right, bro, I'll be swamp grass today. Because, <laughs> you know, oh, take it man. all in stride. Yeah, man. Well, Terrence, uh, th- this seems like a, 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 I couldn't uh, ask for anything more in a podcast, frankly. <laughs> we can go on and on and on. We could. I got we could, I we could see, you just brought up the North Mississippi All-Stars. How did you wind up on a North Mississippi All-Stars record? You're, oh, man. See, Because Cody Dickinson plays drums. So. Well, the thing, the thing with that is uh, I go way back with those dudes when they were just doing like the jug band thing. Okay. Well, you know, um, I played with their dad. Like he, I played oh, on a wow. bunch of records that he produced back in the 80s, you know, Panther Burns. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, all right yeah yeah well you know we we go way back too because like every band would play open for dirty dozen every right? band in america sure, sure. everybody saw Gal- i mean galactic everybody was opening for dirty dozen back in the day and days. why wouldn't you so, want to yeah. right because we were you know we were the band like and we were doing our thing yeah. and that, i met so many bands so many musicians and north mississippi all-stars pri- before they were north mississippi all-stars we met them and you know, uh, uh, who are squirrel nut zippers? Like uh, all these bands that were, right? You know, coming out Jimbo and you know all those dudes. Yes, like, we knew all those kids. All the so, southern fried freaks from yeah, yeah. Uh, North Mississippi. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Cody and Luther were doing a record. They flew me up. I did like one. I don't even know. Maybe one song. I think Cody played washboard. Right, right. He does do that yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pretty yeah, crazy no, yeah, washboard player too, man. Just running through the oh wall pedal and and uh, and the yeah, slap yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, and I do a lot of gigs with Luther around New Orleans, around Jazz Fest time. Nice. And then uh, every time. Um, North Mississippi is anywhere in New Orleans. They'll call me, hey, man, come sit in. We're going to do uh, Psychedelic Sex Magic or whatever the song is, the Washboat song. Right. And, I, and I'll get up and play drums, and then I'll go home. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's like my bros. So cool, man. Good for you, Terrence. You know, it's a, what a sweet guy, and God, what a tremendous career you've, you're having. Oh, uh, and, uh, you know, and you're still having it. And in spite of the fact that nobody else is playing, you're still playing on the road. And I know, I know you still have a, you know, you still are, are churning out tracks for people worldwide. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, yeah. we didn't even touch on that. Your, your, your oh, yeah. uh, cottage industry of, uh, <laughs> of clients you have out there. Oh man. Uh, we just worked with Arnie. So that was, that was a cool deal. <laughs> yeah yeah that's and then, and then after that that one weekend of gigs we did with lynn we wound up uh cutting a a, a few songs half a record with uh, our again our guest uh yeah. arnie skog uh, from uh from yeah, yeah. Norway. and that was a terrific session it was such a pleasure to play with you and again yeah, you know man. now you see i'm dealing myself into to the uh the the, the terrence higgins story <laughs> you in there, bro? You, in there. <laughs> you are in there, man. It's great. I mean, I'm I'm so glad we got to play together. It's so easy playing with you. Like, I mean, you know, I play with a lot of bass players, man, and sometimes some of them uh, I'm like ah, but then you know, then you know when those those there's those other ones that it's like ah, oh, so easy to play with this dude because you know you understand what the job is well just and, like you, you were know. talking about you know it's like if you can relax and and play the music everybody goes oh this can be so easy and they play and, oh, and you man. look around and, go, and they say well what what is he doing that's so great you go i don't know he just <laughs> makes it so easy <laughs> I know. and you know what yeah artists like that you know yes. don was don doesn't want a guy who 
he has to worry about. You sure. know, he wants to relax and and do his thing. But then when you're on that level, you can't afford to be a sla- a slouch, man. You got to bring the A game. Oh like, yeah, no, and and that's that's I was when you were talking about being in the Capitol Studio and and playing at this level, I was thinking about. All those Sinatra records and why Sinatra oh. records are so great. And here's why they're oh. so great. Those yeah. same guys play on Perry Como records and right. they play on other people's records, you know, but when they play on a Perry Como record, they're going, okay, it's Perry Como, you know, we're going to be good. But you know, then, then yeah. when they play on a Sinatra record and uh. the level, the bar is that high, they go, that's the best those guys will ever play in their lives. <laughs> and you have a whole yeah. room of people that are operating on this very high level voluntarily. People are, are performing yeah. at a level you couldn't, you could put a gun to their children's head and they couldn't play this yeah. well. You know, they have yeah, to want to do it. And it's documented at, at the highest level. Yes. So it's like, you, you know, this is the moment. Like all those years are culminating into this one moment right here. And that's all it is, is a moment because once you've done it, you're off to the next one. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's that moment though. You got to really show up, you know, man. I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm really stoked about this um, Vince Gill, uh, Kev Moe session that, um, you know, it's got me doing research. Like I want, and my thing is I try to learn about the artists that I'm working with. Like I'm going to learn everything about Vince. Right. I'm going to learn everything about Kev, all his nuances, all his mannerisms, his temple history, feel, yes. you know, yeah, yeah, history, yeah. Uh, influences. So now once I go in, I'm, I'm confident and I'm comfortable. Yes, yes. I'm not going to be as confident as I was on that Dirty Dozen gig, but uh, when I screwed up. We always, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you don't have that level of confidence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on. Well, I think confident and comfortable is the way we should look for the future next year. Because oh, yeah. 2020 has just been what it is. So let's try to change looking towards the new year let's be confident and comfortable and uh we'll see what happens after that yeah man hopefully 2021 will bring some new light (laughs) and some income right now it's dire straits but hey man we're survivors yeah so yeah yeah all right. Well, I think it's time. I think we had a good show here, man. Oh, this is a great show, man. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with it. Thank you so much, Terrence. Yeah. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you, Manny. Thank you, uh, man. And I hope yeah. to maybe meet you one day soon. Yes, yes. Monday? We'll all be together. So, yeah. yeah. Post-pandemic. Yes, there we go. All right. Well, Renee, what, what, what do we usually do around this time? Uh, you know, uh, on the Troublement Podcast, we like to say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night.
said it don't matter now I know you're cherry strong You're with mine too My turkeys are yours Have mercy Yeah All right, all right, all right I have mercy Come on then